Welcome, Seekers of Truth, coming to you from the edge of the known universe, better known as the Granite State, home of Betty and Barney Hill. Through the magic of electronic alchemy, a portal to another dimension has opened. You are about to make a metaphysical connection. This is the Fedora Chronicles Network. This is the Metaphysical Connection, Episode 75, Elon Musk and Zero Point Energy. This time on the Metaphysical Connection, Walt Schnabel and I, Eric Renderkingfisk, talk about the enigma of Elon Musk and what makes him tick. What is it about his way of thinking, his productivity, and about his background that allowed him to succeed? After the break, Walt and I talk about the controversial but promising realm of zero-point energy and its secret origins. Thank you for listening, and enjoy the show. So, um, I sent you, I don't know whether you checked your email or not. Yep, I check it at least twice a day. Well, I, I just, not too long ago, sent you a couple emails. Um, one is a picture of Starman yep. in, in the, uh, in the uh, Tesla. Yep. So, I was wondering if you could Photoshop a fedora onto him. I sure can. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that would be a good addition to it. As a matter of fact, I think, I think that what I'll do is I, I, will, I, will, uh, I will duplicate. That might be a good picture for the actual show picture. I think it would. I think that what I'll do is I'll duplicate Starman and I will replace his head, uh, you know, the driver's side with my head and the passenger head with yours, with your face. Nah, just the, <laughs> I, I think just the fedora. Don't, okay. Don't too crazy. <laughs> I, I like the idea of the fedora. Okay. If you, can, you can do that, right? Oh, of course. There's nothing I can't do. Given, wow. given yeah. enough time and enough computing power, there's nothing I can do. Now, now you're starting to sound like Elon Musk. There's nothing I can't do. You Which know, is not a bad thing. Yeah, well, you know what? Let's... Because the thing is, is that um, what we usually do, um, especially when Jim's here, is that we talk about the news of the week. Right. And um, I I got this one link um, that really, really sort of made the the hairs on my arm stick up. And there's this um, Facebook group, and it's called Solutions to the Alien Threat. And uh, this is from a post back in February 28th. Um, and it, it this is this is exactly the text. What you may not understand is that each year thousands of people are taken and re- not returned to the world. These people are not simply conditioned. They are kept. Some of them perish in captivity. Some of them do not survive the process of their capturing. Some become sick and die. Those that cannot survive and are seen as useful to the intervention are used as biological resources. That means that their blood, their body parts, everything is used according to its value in the greater community. And then there's a quote, alien abduction, extraterrestrial visitors are here covertly taking men, women, and children against their will. What are we doing to stop that? Well, this gets back to a theme that I have talked about on the show and on my own webpage time and time again. Up to half a million people disappear each year and it never makes 
the news. Like, because um, you know when you do that year in review um, with all the, you know, the mainstream media, whatever it is, and they, they show you like all the great news stories of, of the past year, they never mention all the people who has have just up and disappeared. And it's a huge... There's, dis- a, <clears throat> there's a, a show on Gaia, George Norrie's show, uh, Beyond Belief. I haven't watched it yet, but um, ha- having heard you mention this numerous times now, um, pick, kind of picked my interest. There's, there's a lot of people that disappear from national parks every year. Yes. Did, did you know about that? That's one of the things that I've I've uncovered in my research. I don't know why that would be, but um, I'll have to watch that show and see what but there's a guy on there that's discussing that particular issue. Um, so it's kind of interesting. What do what, uh, you have any theories on? So you think this is an alien abduction thing or, well, or, it, or what? Here's, here's the thing <clears throat> that I think is very interesting because, and the number obviously fluctuates every single year, but we've reached the point in American history now where it is, it's half a million people who mm-hmm. up and disappear and were never heard of again. That is a huge number of people that up and disappear. Now this is worldwide? No, this is only in the United States. And oh, really? the numbers from other countries are sort of vague and ambiguous. Yeah. But it seems like this is an American phenomenon. Now, and you can take into account there are people who just go off, they go and they live off the grid. They do the Ted Gazinski thing. Right, or they're mentally ill and they just are homeless or whatever. Right. And nobody accounts for them. Okay. <clears throat> you have people who just <clears throat> up and disappear. They drop off the system or they expatriate to other countries and they're never heard of again. All of that. There's still a large number of people that we cannot account for. Where do they go? what happens to them and it's not it's and it's a frightening topic and nobody wants to talk about it, to the point where there are people out there who actually tell me Eric that's not a real number and I ask them okay so what is the real number how many tens or hundreds of thousands of people go missing each year and it's like they look they look dumbfounded and the thing is is that the question that they ask and it's the same exact question that I'm asking but from a different perspective from a different point of view how come this is not being addressed in the mainstream media and it's not that I, it's not that I'm a coup because this is something that the FBI actually <laughs> talks about on their own webpage. They actually have statistics about people who just up and disappear. And it was just like, I, I think it would be interesting if everybody calls up their local, not 911, don't call 911, but call your local police station and say, I'm just curious, how many people from this town go missing each year? It's it, It's got to be at least one or two or three or four. Depending on the size of the town. Depending on the size of the town. I mean, somebody like New York City, I'm sure there's a huge amount of people that are unaccounted for for various reasons. Some of them may end up in chicken tenders too. Yeah, know. well, <laughs> they're served up as chicken tenders, you know, in you know, in a in the restaurant at the end of the universe or something like that. Could be, you never know. Yeah, it's an interesting point. I, I'm not sure what. A more interesting point is what what accounts for that. You know, where where are these people ending up, and and what percentage of them are actually just missing because they're not on the grid? Yeah, you know, or are they actually being taken away somewhere and you used for some other nefarious purpose. I don't know. So um, you want to get going on our topic du jour or uh, do you have any more items? We've, well, we no, because the thing is, is that while we're talking about this, there are other countries that actually have similar statistics. Like just talking to you about this, thousands of French adults go missing each year.
year. Um, each year, two thousand. I'm sorry, two hundred seventy-five thousand Britons disappear without a trace. Thousands of missing European children unaccounted for. And the thing is, is that it 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 just goes on and on. The thing is, is that they care about the children. And and as always, that is. I mean, that's a scary thing. You're a parent. You you must know what it's like when your your kid is late home from school, or mm. you don't hear from your kid for a couple of days. Not a couple of days. Like they're late that's coming a, home from dinner. It's your worst nightmare. It's the it, it literally is the worst nightmare. Yeah. My son lived in New York for a year, and, and I was constantly worried. You know, New York is is a, is a dangerous place. Yeah, in a lot of ways. And and he lived. <clears throat> he he wasn't living high on the hog. He you know he was taking the subway and he was you know living a basic life in New York City. Um, and yeah, I worried about him daily. About you know if, if he didn't call me back right away, I I wondered why you know that those kinds of things. It was just because he was busy or whatever. But and he ended up you know leaving New York relatively unscathed. And yeah, but yeah, you worry about always worry about stuff. It's like when regardless, it's like when somebody that you love travels, you want to know their exact itinerary. Right. Like I like whenever somebody I know and love go travels anywhere I want to know you know their hotel I want to know their flight their seat number if I can get a hold of it because things well, happen. you can always get them chipped there well I try I, I I tried that and as soon as I got the chip gun out my wife's like saying I no, no I'll put up with almost anything but not that you actually have a chip gun no wow, I'm, I'm, impressed. I'm impressed it's probably more of a chocolate chip gun <laughs> not too shooting fun. them up shooting them up in the air and catching them in your mouth that's exactly right. That's exactly <laughs> it. Okay, let's get going. I, I'm anxious to, to talk about our, our topic today. It's it's actually a two-fold topic. It really is. We're, we're going to talk about Elon Musk, who who I think is, from, from doing the research um, on him, he, he's really pretty incredible. He really is. Character. Um, I, I, don't, I don't know what... He doesn't seem to get as much publicity as I think he should. Um, I know everybody probably knows the name Elon Elon Musk. A lot of people probably associated him with Tesla, uh, the Tesla car, and and also the newest round of SpaceX um, successes. I guess you could say that that Donald Trump, by the way, is, is trying to take credit for. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so um, interestingly enough, I was watching Trump yesterday. He was talking about the new tariffs that he's bringing out. Sure. <clears throat> which I, which I happen to be. It happens to be one of the few things that I sort of agree with him on. That I, I think there is a real imbalance in in trade between the. United States and particularly China, but a right. lot of other countries too. And I think that needs to get straightened out somehow, you know. Uh, but actually, Musk called in, or, or um, I don't know, called in, but he he tweeted to, to Trump about the Chinese situation. Because he's experienced a lot of issues with the Tesla. Yeah. You know, there's a big imbalance between what's being charged on Tesla cars versus what's being charged on. Do they actually make Chinese cars? Is there, is there a Chinese car? There, uh, the, there is manufacturing from all over the world that is done in China on behalf. I don't know if China actually has their own. Do they actually? Uh, do they actually have their own car line? That I, I, don't, I, I don't know. I wondered about that. But, but Tesla. I mean, uh, Musk was saying that he's been. In competition with with them because of the um he said he said it's like selling cars in china is like trying to run with lead shoes on yeah because because of the competition you know big imbalance uh, i guess they charge 25 percent tariff on teslas versus yeah like two percent on what whatever's coming out of china so, right you know it's, it's like tenfold well here's and, a great i mean as as far as this is concerned we're talking about global trade you cannot get away from global trade it, it's simply impossible we've reached the well, tipping point and yeah i mean other countries 
countries buy our products. Sure. And we get products from other countries. So yeah, there has to, but there has to be a balance. Sure. You know, if we're getting killed on the exchange, then that that needs to change, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, but but the big issue is that some business people are making a lot of money on sending stuff out of the country and bring, bringing it back in and you know cheaply and making a huge profit on it. Sure. That's where the rub is. I think that and that's the thing that's where the resistance is going to be. Well, here's the problem that a lot of us have, especially for those of us who um, spend too much time at let at Home Depot or Lowe's or the local um, uh, hardware <laughs> lumber store. Christmas tree shop. Yeah, exactly. Um, because the thing is is that you go and you see all the products and you want to buy products made in the, in the United States. We just got a DeWalt all saw or Sawzall and uh, it says it's proudly made in the United States but with global pro- uh, um, global products like global um, parts. Parts that are made so, all so the... It's, so it's essentially uh, assembled in the United States. It's assembled in the United States but it has with, parts with that were foreign. made all over all over the all over right, the world. Right. You can't that's wait sort of, now. Somewhat of a misnomer. Sure. But that is but the thing is is that that's true of everything right now. The thing is, is that you know a a, a fine example is like Hondas. Um, Hondas are actually, you know, some of them are actually made here in the United States with parts that were made all over the world. You think that, oh, it's a Japanese car. No, it's not. Well, it is, but it's not. The company Japanese is owned company. by Japan, right. but so much of, of the parts that go into it are actually made here in the United States. And, and it was just like, it's gotten to the point where as is, um, we're starting to see country borders start to disappear. And it's very, very easy to go down the slippery slope and talk about you know legal aliens and talking about you know other countries stealing our jobs and so and 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 whatnot. It's global commerce, and the thing is, there is going to be problems no matter what happens. There's well, it's true, but but it's got to be equitable. That, that's the whole thing. Sure. If there's a big imbalance, um, I I have no problem buying parts from wherever and you know assembling them in the United States, hiring American workers to assemble. And I'm I'm not a I'm not a nationalist by any stretch of the imagination. That's kind of where Trump is trying to push us, I think. Sure. Um, and and I, I understand that to a point, to a point, you know, that we need to create jobs for American workers. And part of that has to be using parts from wherever, you know, as long as they're quality, yeah. not just the cheapest parts, but the quality parts. And then you have a quality product. Is it um, made up of international pieces? Probably. And that's okay, as long as it's a quality product. And it, if it's being put together in the United States, that's a good thing. It's hiring American workers to do that. Yeah. And on so, top of that, and we no. don't want we don't want our products made um, from slave labor. No, absolutely not. But there's a huge imbalance between China and India um, in terms of the tariffs. You know what they're yeah. charging us versus what we're charging them to bring this stuff back in, and that's a big reason why you know who knows what goes on in India with the with the kind of labor they use, you know, and China too. Yeah, so they, we don't we don't really have any way to regulate that. I mean, they they might have some kind of a uh, place where they take you to to show you how wonderful their labor processes. That's really not got the reality. Of this and it's situation. all a show. It's all a show, right? So let's get back to Musk. Yes, um, I I find him to be an incredibly interesting guy. Um, complicated, but but interesting. Um, did you get a chance to do much research on him? Or yeah, um, um, I you know, as a matter of fact, I'm reading a biography on Elon Musk, and the thing is, is that is that the new one that came out relatively? Is that the one written by the guy from? Um, oh, he writes for one of the magazines. Newsweek, I think it's it's the only the it's the only um, biography of him that I know. I I only know of one.
one biography, and it's actually it's in our show notes. The thing is, okay, that must be the one that I read. I read a part of that. The question that I, the question that I have in regards to Elon Musk is, when does a guy get any sleep? Well, he works a hundred hour a week. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's, that's pretty pretty impressive. I mean, I don't know when he sleeps. He he doesn't even want to take time to eat. There was a there was a piece of it that said that he he can he eats a hamburger in three bites. It takes him about fifteen seconds because he thinks eating is wasted time. Yeah, taken away from his whatever he's working on, which is a lot of things. <laughs> so that's that's pretty pretty interesting. He, you know, it's it's funny. He's he, he's a, he's a, an interesting guy in that he's you know he's relatively young. Yeah, he's in his late he's in his late forties. Um, he's he's made huge successes out of in in industries that people said weren't possible. Like he's he's made a huge inroad into the car agents uh, industry, automobile industry, and and people laughed at when they because the electric cars apparently everybody thought were dying and he just he just made a huge success out of it yeah. starting Tesla good, yeah. good choice of names by the way <laughs> yeah um, <laughs> uh, so you know here's a guy in his late 40s he's, he's had multiple successes where he's taken an idea and brought it into actuality and made a huge amount of money um, but he's he also on the other hand has um, his struggles with his personal life um, I guess he's had a couple of failed marriages and yeah uh, and he, he wants very badly to have a relationship personal relationship but he doesn't seem to be able to, to sustain it yeah uh, of course working 100 hours a week might might have a little something to do with that right it doesn't leave a lot of time left over for anything else but um i don't know i think i think there's a valid comparison between you and and tesla here i mean it's a guy in his late 40s right yeah okay he had he had a very um difficult childhood yes he had an abusive father yes um, his father actually threw him down the stairs at one point did you see that yeah as well it was and, uh, it wasn't I, I know your father probably didn't throw you down the stairs. No, it was my st- it was oh, it was my yeah. mother's boyfriend. It was my mother's boyfriend who threw me down the stairs a couple of times. Oh, he actually did. Oh, yeah, I, I, yeah, I, I'm not I kidding. Thought that was, yeah. I thought that was figurative. Yeah, sort of like throwing somebody under the bus. But. Right. No, literally threw me down the stairs because I was mouthing off. I, you know. And um, apparently he was he was badly bullied. Yep. Um, so there, I mean, there's a lot of parallels between you and him. The, the only big difference really is that he he's got 13.3 billion dollars, and and I, I don't think you're close to that. Well, how do you know? <laughs> I don't know. I'm just guessing. <laughs> I mean, you do. Maybe you're, maybe you're hiding it well. You know, know, here's so. the thing. You've never seen Elon Musk and I together in the same room. <laughs> That's true. That's true. And, but but you, do have a, you do have a good personal, and he doesn't. So, you know, who's who's the richer guy, Eric? Yeah, that's my question. Well, he, here's the thing that I got out of Elon Musk's biography so far is that mm-hmm. there's a reason why he, he has a hard time maintaining relationships is because you're right in the middle of having dinner you know with your spouse and you suddenly got this incredibly brilliant idea on how to solve a problem and right. so you jump up from the table you run to your desk and then you you get back to work or whatever on your laptop or your desktop or, or you know your your paper and whatever and I, I can tell you from personal experience that does not go over well <laughs> Yeah, it doesn't. And, and you know, his, it's funny. His mother said that um, <clears throat> his mother said that he will go off like she calls it going into his own brain. Yeah. And, and it's almost like he goes into some kind of a comatose yeah. state and he's not communicative. He, you can't communicate with him. He, and he's in his mind. He's she said he's designing a, a building or something for his colony on Mars that he wants. Yeah. To, he wants to start. You know, so, um, you know, yeah, I, I, I think he, I think in some ways he's probably um, somewhere on the spectrum. You know? I, I think he exhibits that kind of behavior. The thing about Elon Musk 
and about a lot of other geniuses. And this comes up over and over and over again. These people operate on a different level. Absolutely. And my dad had this, um, this, some of the same problems or some of the same issues. Whereas my, as, a, as an electrical engineer and as somebody who was constantly trying to build the next great two-way radio antenna tuner, uh, he, is, he will get into a conversation and tell you about how he came to this solution that he came up with and he will he will talk your ear off or before well before my dad died my dad would talk people's ears off about how he came to a certain conclusion and then he'll like go off on a tangent and it will talk to you about the history of a specific um widget a certain gear or the, these something that nobody even understands or cares about um name up you know name name like like a capacitor like a solid state capacitor and right. he would just go off and talk about the history and his personal involvement with with his involvement in the 1970s with a small company that were do, where that they were making their own solid state capacitors and i i'm making i i don't know if there's such a thing as a solid state capacitor i'm just using whatever. it as an example yeah, whatever as an example but, but that's a social that's a social problem exactly. essentially and then yeah. and then to the other social socially unaware right and then he had this other problem on the other extreme where um he would be having a conversation with somebody and not realizing that in he, they're not keeping up with him in his head they're not keeping up in their heads right. the way he's right. keeping so, up with his, he's and he's jumping to all these sort of like these conclusions and he's angry well, it, at you he, because he doesn't know how to like really have a, uh, a back and forth kind of conversation no it's, it's mostly he's talking about something that he knows about and blah 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 but he's unaware of the other person's um either indifference to what he's talking about i think the, that, but the thing right? the thing is with elon musk is that elon musk realized that he had this problem and he has people who are sort of like Elon Musk whisperers, as it were. People who actually, like, he they sort of act as buffers, as it were. Um, there are those people who are kind of like, no, no, believe me, trust me, he knows what he's talking about. And he sort of like has to, like, sort of like be the go-between between Elon Musk and we mortals. And mm -hmm. it, it's really well, hard. He, he, he really believes that he um, knows more than everybody else. Well, and, he, and he probably does, to, to a degree, on on some things anyway, but he he really believes that his ideas are the only ideas. Well, but um, but you have he's, to. He's, I don't think he's real collaborative, is what I'm trying to say. No, and, and from the what thing I, is, from is what that, read about it. and that's that's a problem with a lot of geniuses, as it were, is yeah. that they're not great collaborators. They're these people that you just they're not fit for human society. You just want to put them in the basement and give them endless amount of resources and see what they come up right. with. I'm, I'm I wouldn't be surprised if Tesla was exactly the same. Yeah. You know, he, I, he was he was very non-social. In fact, that near the end of his life, he didn't socialize at all. He lived in a, one little hotel room in New York City and came out for dinner, basically. You know, so uh, you know, so I think it's a common uh, thing with people that are that brilliant. Uh, you know, he's he's just the kind of guy that he he's thinking out on on another whole wavelength yeah. than, than mere mortals are. You know? And he doesn't really. It, it's like somebody that's really good at math. You know, they they don't understand that there's people that don't really 
really get math, you know, that, oh, that, yeah. that's, where algebra is like a foreign language to them. I'm you know, one of those people. With, with other people that, you know, that are mathematically oriented, algebra is like two and two, you know, right. it just, just totally makes sense to them. And I don't think he gets that concept. No, I, which I, is probably why he's gotten to where he's gotten to, you know. So. Well, no, and I, and I think that there's a, there's a lot of people who say um, that, that they can't understand algebra. And the thing is, is that I get it only to a certain extent. I mean, if you give me a formula and the variables, I, I can solve a problem, but I need the formula. Um, and, and that's one of the things that, and it has to have a real world application. Mm-hmm. I have to actually- Yeah, a lot of people are like that. I, I don't, and the thing is, is that I don't understand algebra for algebra's sake. I never could. Now, if you would explain to me, you know, why I need to know how to do something and how I can apply it in my daily life. And everybody's like that. And I think that one of the one of the problems with the education system is that kids don't understand the real world application to a lot of things that they're they're going through. Like the thing is, is that why do kids in the eighth grade need to learn all about George Orwell and have to read 1984? Isn't that something that kids should actually like read a little bit older or is that just the right age for it? I, I don't it's it's just they it's just passed off as something that you have to do. You have to do well, this. Well, that's the wrong approach. Yes. It should, it should be passed off is something that is important for you to know about. And and you may, you know, when you're in eighth grade, you may view it at one level and it may introduce you to it. And then when you're 25, you may go back and read it at another level, yeah, level which, which is what it's intended to be. Yeah. You know, there's, there's var- any, any good work of art has various levels to it. Yeah. And you access those levels when you're ready for it, when you're in the right place for it. Yeah. And that's, that's pretty typical. Um, but with, with Musk, he, I don't, I don't think he really gets, um, the fact that there's people who just aren't on the same wavelength as him. You know, he, he, he just has his own viewpoint on stuff. And, um, you know, for, luckily for him, he's he's right most of the time. He, yeah. He, he makes it work. You know, he, he had the same thing with, uh, with SpaceX. You know, when he started SpaceX, there were a lot of people, skeptics said, oh, he's crazy. You know, what, what does he think he's doing? You know, NASA has all that stuff covered. Well, actually, not so much. And um, he, he had a series of, of failures and people were, you know, kind of sitting in the, in the catbird seat and kind of saying, oh, look at him, look at Musk, you know, he's failing. And then he pulled it off. He, yeah. he had big success, not only a few days ago, right? Yeah, it was a week a week or two ago when he actually launched this um, launched this multi-stage rocket with these, with these boosters <laughs> that actually flew back to Earth or dropped back to Earth and they, they landed. Reusable. reusable rockets, these re- reusable boosters, and they right. landed upright on, on the landing pad, exactly like what you'd see out of like Flash Gordon or Buck Rogers mm-hmm. with these rockets landing precisely on their tail um, on the butt end and it was just like that, that, that can't be real you know <laughs> it's like I'm, 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 I'm watching a movie or something like that right, with right. The, with well, by the way he is a big sci-fi fan too so I know that probably comes as, comes as no surprise how, how could and, and that's one of the things that I, I, I find about him that's fascinating whereas he, he and I grew up looking at um you know, sci- you know, sci-fi art at the time, like mm-hmm. the big concept books, like um, yeah. from artists like Sid Mead. Mm-hmm. And my whole thing was, I used to write about and 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 dream about what it must be like to be in that future. What must it be like to have a flying car like everybody else? What right. would Eric- well, he's he's in the process of creating that future? Exactly, exactly. Yeah. And that's the other other extreme. And so, he would actually he'd actually look at science fiction during the seventies well, and eighties, and he uh, escaped. That was his escape mechanism yeah from, from from being bullied and um he, he actually turned that around though he actually at some point um 
took karate lessons and uh, learned how to defend himself. And he, he actually confronted the, the people that were bullying him. Um, so, you know, you have to give him credit for that, for pulling, kind of pulling himself up by his, by his bootstraps. Yeah, and, he's, uh, he is be, an example. Becoming assertive, you know, not letting people uh, define him, I guess. Yeah, by, he's, by he, is, he is exactly what every, every parent needs to look at how he handles himself and how mm-hmm. he sort of fixed the situation, how he took his life, took control over his own life away from the bullies and turned the tables on the bullies. Exactly, exactly. And, and sort of, yeah, and actually, it's like, um, are you you familiar with Doc Savage? Um, he he's very, he's very much he's like um, a pulp action hero from the 30s and 40s. He's very much like oh, I've, that. Yeah, I've, heard, I've heard that. Yeah. He's very much like that. He's 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 an action hero slash mad scientist, mm-hmm. and and he's multifaceted. He, he's multifaceted, and I th- and I think that you could actually make the case that Elon Musk is a, a fully actualized human being, mm-hmm. and you know he he's he's an example of what. I think that everybody would like to be with the exception of, you know, his relationships. I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't trade the fame and fortune um, that he has with what I have with my wife and kids. I I wouldn't trade it for the world. Yeah, I, I, I agree. So. He um, su- supposedly he's the inspiration for. Um, I haven't seen the movie Iron Man. I'm assuming you've probably seen that with your kids, right? <laughs> <laughs> About fifty million times. But <laughs> uh, the, the the character Iron Man dates back to the 1960s. Well, no, Musk is not the not the Iron Man. Um, it, it's the guy that's the rich. Um, uh, he's he's a sub character. He's not. I, I don't know the plot of the movie because I haven't seen it. But and I, I forget what the character's name is. He was a rich Tony like, Stark. Tony Stark. It? Tony Stark. Yes, supposedly Musk is the inspiration for that character. I think that I think that the modern interpretation of Elon Musk is. Um, I'm actually looking at a chart right now, an infographic about where the two intersect. You know, the two characters, <laughs> is, Musk is, and this other guy. Is is Elon Musk the real life Tony Stark? Oh, okay. And so I'm, there's some conjecture. A lot that. of people have, you know, the weight, the the height. Can, yeah. I guess Tony Stark is a big drinker, though, and, and Musk isn't. Yeah. He drinks He drinks on occasion. But exactly. Not, exactly. Not a regular drinker. Yeah. Uh, so what's what's interesting is, and one thing I didn't realize, is that one of his first really successful companies was PayPal. Yes. Did you know that before you started? No. You know what? It was, there's, there's a lot of I things. I didn't know that. There's a lot of things that I read about Elon Musk that was like, I didn't know I didn't know that he was, you know, I, I had no idea that he had the Tesla cars, PayPal, SpaceX obviously mm-hmm. and it was you know and you look at all this stuff and it was just like he he's everywhere he's done and there's so more. much there's and more he's got um he's got a solar company yeah called solar solar city where he's making solar uh, shingles for for roofs, um, which I think is a great idea. Yeah, um, I'm, I'm I'm not sure that the cost is is down where where it's affordable affordable for most people at this point, but who knows? He may get it there. Yeah. Um, then he's also got a couple other companies. Um, one is called uh, Neuralink. Yeah. Where he's trying to link the human brain with with um, with the internet and yes. with AI. Um, and then he has another company actually called OpenAI. Yeah. So you know. 
he's got his hands in a lot of a lot of different stuff. Um, and and you have to wonder, does he doesn't seem like he has any limits? No. Now his his very first company, which he started, I think, right out of college, was um, Zip Zip Two. Or yes. Zip, Zip Z. That's one of the things I look yeah that I noticed as well. There's just so much you're not being going it was to be a, able to. It was um, a way to find. Was like I guess it was like an internet thing where you could find businesses and things like that. Yeah. Um, and he sold that to Compact for a lot of money, like millions of dollars. And he then he parlayed that money into PayPal, which which he ended up selling for 180 million. Yep. Um, and then that those that money then became he parlayed that into SpaceX and Tesla and um, I think the solar company. Yeah. So he keeps expanding his his universe, his business universe anyway. But but the the, the crazy thing is um, that he's really he doesn't really consider himself a businessman. No, he, um, he's I think he, I think he's, the... he's really a, he's he's really a He's an inventor, basically. Yeah, he's, he's a scientist. He's, he's well versed in, in engineering and physics. Um, and and what his thinking and his scientific thinking is what gets him brings him success in these areas. It's it's not it's not the business acumen, although that has to be there too. Um, that's one of the things about Tesla. Tesla was wasn't a good businessman, and he got, didn't, didn't use all of his money well or poorly yeah. into any. Um, but but Musk seems to have an affinity for that kind of thing. Yeah, he, he just makes it work. Makes it work. Well, I, I even when even when people say it can't work, that that's like he, he's like he he almost likes that. He likes, he likes the challenge. That. I think one of the most intriguing things about Elon Musk is that he is not a strong advocate for artificial intelligence. He he's is not. He's not. one of the people who says no. Artificial intelligence is really sort of a, it's a bad idea. Um, last night we were watching an episode of the X Files. Um, it, the, the the new series that's on on uh, the Fox Network right now, and they right. they had this great. Um, episode with the technology that kind of runs amok because they they go to this of all places this automated sushi bar and they screw up his order and and at the end of the computer had asks how much would you like to tip your chefs and he goes behind in the in the kitchen after his order is all wrong and yeah and he sees that there's nothing there's nothing but robots you know behind the scenes and when he gets back to his uh uh his seat next to Dana Scully he's like I'm not I'm not tipping these people I'm paraphrasing phrasing of course and the thing is is it because he refuses to tip his <laughs> his automated chefs it starts this sort of like this uh this nightmare and it, it's such a it was such a great episode it could have been its own standalone movie and, mm-hmm. and the thing is is that there's this whole this the, uh, the song that keeps playing over and over again through the, the is um uh, teach your children i think it's crosby stills and nash talking yeah. about you know teach your and children young. well and no, young. don't leave out young okay i won't leave out young Young, <laughs> Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young. You know, yeah, the, the, my so, man. and it was like you know, teach your children, and it's like we're talking about AI is our kids. I mean, I, this is our neck. These, this is our progeny. This, this is our legacy. AI. And, well, and Musk, Musk has a has a sort of a feud going on. Not a feud necessarily, but um, uh, he, he's he's in conflict with Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah. Because Zuckerberg sees, you know, he's all out for AI. He's he's, he's gung ho on it, and, and um, I don't think. Musk Musk is against it. I think he just says beware of it. And where Zuckerberg is like, no, nah, you don't have to worry about it. It's cool. Everything's cool. You know, it's the future. It's going to be the way it is um, oh. until um, it's not. <laughs> yeah, that's. Uh, but but um, I, I heard um, the Japanese scientist uh, Wang. I can't remember his name right now. But he was weighing in on this kind of discrepancy between Zuckerberg and, and Musk, and he, he says neither one of them is really wrong. It's just that Zuckerberg is being 
being short-sighted. You know, but he's he's only looking at say the next ten years of where AI can kind of take his his interests, whereas Musk is being more futuristic and more long-term thinking. You know, which which I think is accurate. It's not out of the realm of the possibility that something awful could happen. That and and it's it's an ongoing thread throughout thought-provoking science fiction. What if you you know you asked a supercomputer with artificial intelligence and you said how can we solve all of these problems? How can we solve the problems of the world right now? What can we do today to fix all these problems? And the computer says, give me 48 hours to think about it. And so, of course, everybody goes, you know, takes two days off and they go back to the computer. And the computer says, okay, I've figured out how to solve the world's problems. Five-eighths of all the people on the planet have to die tomorrow. How would people respond to that? How would people respond to the fact that if if artificial intelligence... They would say, oh, I, I, I deserve to be in the three-eighths. <laughs> for the following reasons <laughs> but I mean the thing is that, and, and the thing is that the computer says and here here are all the people who have to live these are the people who have to survive and here are all the people that we have to kill for the planet to survive all of all of these blank people need to die the question is is that how, how did the computer come up with that solution people are going to like look into the programming of it who who programmed this computer how did the computer you know come up with this solution what kind of implications are we going to have? And a lot of people say, well, isn't that a little extreme, Eric? If you were going to come up with the ultimate omnipotent computer to come up with a solution like, how do we save the planet? How do we save humanity? And that's the answer it came up with. Wouldn't you want to know who's programming the computer? Who built the computer? Well, that that's where the, you know, that's where singularity comes in. You know, where, where at what point does the computer begin to program itself? Yeah. And, and, and create its own consciousness I guess we yeah. talked about and, this and on... if you if you, yeah we talked we had, did a whole show about this yeah um, so you know when when the computer gets to the point where it's only using its own um, consciousness so to speak to, to solve problems or to answer questions that's where that's where I think the real problem comes in uh, obviously people can you know can program computers to do anything think anything at this point but what happens when that's not the case anymore that's that's the big question yeah exactly that's, that's where it always that's where it always goes to, you know, and I, I think that's where Musk feels that the problem lies, you know, um, and I don't think Zuckerberg is looking forward to that. He's just looking at it down, just slightly down the road, whereas Musk is, you know, Musk's whole whole deal is is sustainability. That's 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 what he believes yeah. is the, that's the key to the future. Um, he he holds very a very strong idea about um, the human race facing a potential extinction and being prepared for that by being a multi-planetary uh, race. You know where we where we have outposts on var- which which is his whole thing behind yeah. trying to get to Mars and set up a and set up a colony. That's one of his big projects, uh, and that's what SpaceX is is really leading to. Uh, which which we're gonna I guess the second part of the show we're gonna start talking about energy different types energy yeah but um he he really sees that as the main goal for humanity is yeah. to get out into space and set up places so that if there is an extinction event um which which he really believes there will be at some point yeah not, i don't think he really knows when or or even says when but you know along the lines of what happened to the dinosaurs yeah you know, he says you know if something like that happens to the earth um 10 years from now or 100 years from now or whenever you know the only things that are going to survive are um cockroaches and and 
mushrooms. Yeah. Saying that jokingly, but that's probably fairly accurate. And plastic. (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah, plastic, yeah. But that's not not a life form. Not yet, anyway. (laughs) (laughs) So, so I, I think I think his real his real philosophy is to make the you know to make make the planet as uh, sustainable as we possibly can. You know he sees fossil fuels and, and all the things that we're using as not sustainable, which they aren't. No, regardless of what the big oil companies and stuff would have you believe and all that rhetoric. And we're going to talk about that later on. We are. We're going to yeah. We're going to get to that. But but he, it's funny. Early on, he. He identified um, five technologies that he thought had the greatest potential, and he, and he's hitting basically. I think he's hitting on all of them. Um, these are technologies that can, can alter the course of human history. The first one is the internet, um, which which you know the PayPal was um, was internet banking basically. Yeah. What it came down. Um, so so he hit that one pretty well. Uh, sustainable energy, um, space exploration, yeah. AI, and and repro- repro- reprogramming the human genetic code. Yeah. So I I think he. I think he's working in basically all of those areas. They're all exciting fields. It's all exciting and it's also terrifying at the same time because we were talking about, this is something we've talked about a, at least a hundred times already before. We're talking about turning the, the paradigm upside down, turning the way that we look at the world upside down, making science fiction into science fact. And we're going to, and there are problems, there are going to be issues that we're going to have to deal with that a lot of science fiction writers have been tackling in the privacy of their own writing rooms. We're going to actually have to deal with, you know, what are the social and economic uh, consequences of exploring space? Or what, what would ha- what would happen to the economy if we actually captured a an asteroid and strip-mined it for resources? Mm-hmm. And the thing is, what's that going to do to the global economy? What's it going to do when the price of gold goes through the floor because <laughs> it's raining gold from SpaceX? We got a ton of gold. We have so much gold, we don't even know what to do with. We have so much titanium we don't know what to do with it. That's going to be a consequence that we're really going to have to deal with in the next, in the not too distant future. Well, it all depends on how it's approached too. If, it, if it's if it's purely based on profit margin, then that's, that generally does not end up well for the majority of the, of the human beings on the planet. If it's more based on how can we use this to improve the living conditions for people on the planet, not making a whole boatload of money for a very small amount of people um, that's the difference you know can, can we use that technology or, or whatever it is that we're talking about for the good of the majority of the people or for just the good of the people that want to make more money than they know what to do with you know that that's the whole I mean I don't have a problem with people making money I you know like musk makes a huge amount of money but I think he's also thinking about how to improve the planet and how to you know how to make things better for the majority of the people in his own way you know he wants to he wants to improve um, all of the things that we've come to rely on for our basic like like transportation for one thing yeah he's got a he's got a big project that he's working on and, and like you said I I don't know how he finds the time to do all this stuff yeah he's, he's Amazing human being, he really is. Um, he's got another company, or um, it's called. It's not really a company, I guess. It's more of a maybe it's a sub company of one of his other ones. But it's called the Boring yes. Company. Yes. Yes. Um, B o r i n g, not not boring like ho hum. We're talking about 
about you know, we're talking about talking about boring into the earth, boring into the bedrock. <laughs> right. So it's safe. Well, he's got a, he's got a thing called a hyperloop. Yes. Which is an underground, basically an underground train that that would travel at high, very high speed to get from city to city. You know, so you could go from New York to Boston in a couple minutes, I guess. Yeah. If you know, if what he's planning comes to be. Um, so he's working on those kind of things. He also has a plan for um, a honeycomb under cities that would eliminate the traffic jams in cities and also eliminate the need for people getting in you know, in traffic jams with fossil fuel burning machines. Exactly. So, so that kind of thing. So he, he's got amazing ideas and, and seems to have the ability to make them, bring them into fruition. Make all you know, of it re- a reality. And the thing is, is that, listen, this guy has a proven track record. If I does. could, um, somebody had asked me, um, somebody who is involved in, in the New Hampshire political machine and somebody, and, and we were, t- and we were talking because I mean, I, I run in all kinds of crazy circles and whatnot. And she had said, I am meeting with the president's spokesperson later today. What do you think that people really are concerned about? Um, and and president, what, what president does it does it? It was, it was it's Donald Trump. And um, and and it's, you, you you're going to talk to you're going to talk to Kathleen Conway tomorrow. And she said, yeah, and it's only going to be for a couple of minutes. No, it's it's not a big deal. So I think that she was like one of the co-chairs to the um, to the GOP machine here in New Hampshire. And um, and I had said I have I have just two huge concerns. Obviously, the thing is, is that um, where's where's all this wealth that's being generated? Where is where is it going? Um, I'm not talking about wealth redistribution. I'm talking. I'm just talking about people getting paid for the work that they do. Uh, finding find example like, and I'm, I'm going to keep this as short as I possibly can. And here's an example of why we should allow people like Elon <clears throat> Musk, who obviously has very virtuous motivations to do what he does. I was working at a corporation for a short while, and I worked my butt off. I mean, when when I was there. I I really worked. I wasn't on my cell phone the entire time, you know, goofing off like whatever. I really and I excelled at customer service. I took the numbers of this branch that I was working at at 37% approval rate to 97% approval rate in less than two months. And because of all of my hard work, our store got a bonus. But the thing is, it wasn't just me that got a bonus. It was the kid who slacked off and didn't do anything during his shift and relied on other people to pick up his slack. He also got a bonus. No matter how hard you work in some of these situations, you could be the best customer service rep, but you're never ever going to earn what you are worth while the CEO is getting all of these bonuses for because of the people under him who work so hard. The thing is... is but, I, but, I, but, I, but I think looking at that conversely is that when you have a company where... Uh, here, here's another kind of real life example. There's, there's a hardware store um, here in Portland that's that's um, employee owned it's an ace hardware store which is which is a chain but it's employee owned right and so that every employee in the store has investment in in what happens in that store and how much stuff gets sold and, and how the how the people are treated and you go in there and you know they have people that a know what they're talking about and B are willing to help you and take the time to, to you know I, I had a guy I was looking for screws for um, the screws had fallen out of my son's doorknob and I wanted to replace him. I don't know what happened to him. And and the guy took the time to, to ask me the brand. And t- he actually took a packaged doorknob apart, Schlaga doorknob, and pulled the screws out of it and tested them in the little gauge thing they have to get the right screws. Uh, now, who does that? <laughs> I mean, who does that in Home Depot? Or I'm, I'm not diminishing Home Depot. They serve their function. 
But the reason why people in that store act like that is because they have investment in that in that store, personal. Because if the store does better, then they do better. Right. And that's the way that's the way I think businesses should run. My own personal opinion here. But um, but when you have some jamoke at the top that's making all the gravy and all the little peons are getting their eight ninety an hour or whatever the hell they make, um, you know that that all that does is create frustration and and who who wants to do a better job yeah. unless you're internally motivated and and not that many people are actually I'm, I'm sorry that's the way it is but why should I be so why should I be I think in, that should be a business model why should I be internally motivated to work harder than everybody else when everybody else is going to reap the same rewards that I reap while the guy who does nothing gets the same bonus but, but see that's I think that's a negative way to look at it oh, I, no. I think that you you do the work because it, it gratifies you to do a good job and it whatever comes off of that comes off of that and if the, the kid you know the high school kid in the corner that's looking on his cell phone well you know maybe that'll you know maybe that'll elevate him a little bit. that's that's my point of view sure but also on the other extreme how how long can somebody be selfless before they're broken down because that's well it depends on the person you know that's that's uh, yeah no, I, and i i know that there's a built-in degree of um you know that but that's part of the equation it, it it's it's set up to create that kind of animosity between this one you know what i mean as we've talked about a million times you know there's a there's always a dialectic setup that's that's we see that all over you know, in politics and in everything in every way of life really so i i think anyway we've got a little we got a little bit off topic yeah so, um, but i think another thing another concern that i have and i wish somebody would sit down with the president and say this and say um and we're going to talk about this in the next segment we know that there's suppressed technology out there we know we know that they are sitting on technology that can literally save the world literally change the world and we need to sort of unleash some of that technology that we have sitting in warehouses um and i know it's and the thing is is that i don't sound crazy anymore we know for a fact that they have special black ops projects and we did a show about this all this this crazy secret stuff that that the pentagon has been researching and in my 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 show notes um i we also went through you know again i found another yet another article about how the pentagon has actually put billions of dollars of research into our next show topic um and the thing is is that you know slowly unleash it and pull you know stop allowing large corporations like big oil to con- control renewable energy allow yeah, pe- good luck good good luck with that eric well but the thing is it's like i think it's something that needs to be said i i, I agree but uh, my my big question would be if i could talk to musk which would which would be amazing i think um, is is have you considered anti-gravity technology as part of your pro and, and I can't believe that he has you know he named his car Tesla <laughs> Tes- <Yeah. laughs> Tesla was the king of, of anti-gravity I mean he was the progenitor of anti-gravity technology that's what that's what he was that's where he was going you know uh, before he got cut off at the knees yeah by, by big business uh, so I can't believe that that Musk and he's a brilliant guy so you know that he's aware of it yeah so I wonder where that lies in his I wonder where that is in his own personal paradigm in terms of uh, bringing that you know into the mix in terms of just the, the the sustainability of it and the usability of it and all those things that are attached to, the, to not only just anti-gravity, but um, well, it's all kind of tied together. We're gonna we're gonna get to that yeah. in the next. Session. We're gonna we're gonna we're we're gonna take a short break, and when okay. we and we when we get back, we're gonna talk about the controversial topic of zero point energy and anti-gravity. So stay tuned, right. and and how that potentially could relate to um, our boy Elon Musk. All right. Whoa, whoa. 
twice as good and can't sustain like one half could. It's one and more. It's gonna send me to my knees. And if you go to metaphysicalpodcast.com and you click on the show page for show 75, and this is episode episode 75, Elon Musk and Zero Point Energy. And um, and, be, and before we started recording the, the, the first part of the show, Walt and I were actually talking about how no, I, I really went on the deep end. I actually went down the rabbit hole in talking about all of this. And it all started with Walt sending us... Uh, a link to a documentary about zero point energy. And I think that that's where we're going to begin, Walt. Tell us about this documentary that you and I both saw and what did you get out of it? Well, uh, it, it's, a, it's a documentary essentially about a guy who um, was an illustrator uh, for things like uh, scientific journals and mechanics illustrated and those kinds of things. He's the guy that would illustrate the futuristic looking airplanes and and those kinds of things. And um, he was supposed to be going to an air show with a friend of his in the 80s, I guess it was. And um, so something came up. Actually, one of the magazines called him and offered him a large amount of money to um, <clears throat> do an illustration. So, so the short story is that he didn't get to go to the air show because... Um, he got offered a big amount of money to do this illustration, so he didn't have the time to go. So after the after his friend went, um, they had a conversation, and the guy said, "Yeah, he said this, this is the strangest thing. I, I got in to see somehow. I got in to see this technology. It wasn't for the general public, but he went into like this hangar, uh, like a Quonset hut kind of thing, and and they had what looked like a UFO and yeah. it was hovering off the ground. And the guy was like, you know, like." Okay, tell me more, you know. And, and this, this, they, they yeah. actually had a diagram of, of the technology that was involved with this. And apparently what it was was reverse engineered technology from, from an alien craft, like we've talked about, you know, 50 times. Yep. Like at, like at Roswell and, and so many other places where they apparently have recovered these crashes, crashed vehicles. And um, they refer to it as an alien reproduction vehicle. Yep. And, and what it does is it utilizes an anti-gravity technology for... For, for propulsion. Yep. Um, so, so this guy's, you know, is, is a graphic designer. Yep. And, and which, which, you know, you have a lot of experience with that, Eric. Sure do. So, from so not not only did they have the vehicle there, they they could actually look inside of it, and there was actually a diagram on an easel of, of how it worked, or how the you know how the propulsion system worked. So, so this guy was trying to relate this to this to this guy that's the uh, graphic designer, and he came out come up came up with this big blueprint of, of this machine and how it would work. Uh, they it's it's um, subtitled the flux liner yeah. because part of the whole process of the anti-gravity technologies it creates um, a high degree of electricity, uh, which is what flux really is. Um, and it also creates a vortex, which we've talked about numerous times now, about the qualities of vortexes. When you when you create a vortex, it, it creates some strange things. It does. Uh, it, yeah, it does. It creates some strange things going on. So so essentially, um, you know, here it is. This Here's a 
diagram and a, a guy with first-hand knowledge of, of this technology, which apparently has been reverse engineered from um, from captured or recovered alien technology. Yep. Uh, and, and and his theory, this guy's theory, is that many of the what we see as UFOs <clears throat> are actually these craft being tested. Yeah. Which which I've heard other people talk about before. Nick Nick Redfern has talked. About Nick Redfern, yeah, he's the guy. <clears throat> so um, the interesting thing though is this is not this is not new. This is not new technology. Um, if you look into the manas, which are mentioned in in uh, what's the Mahabharata? Yep, Mahabharata. <laughs> See, there you go. Because now I'm not going to be able to pronounce it. Mahabharata. <laughs> yes, um, which is six thousand years old. Yeah, uh, and and a lot of people have looked at that as fiction in the past or some kind of a fairy tale. Um, but it describes a, a craft very similar to what you know what we're talking about here, and and um, that's that goes way back six thousand years back, and this is this is in Sanskrit. So you know these these things have been around apparently for thousands and thousands of years. There's yeah. at least the technology has anyway. Right. And at some point, it's been lost for, for various reasons, I guess. But uh, and and I I can't believe that this is not connected to get the Glock out, Eric. Yeah. We're going to talk. Talk about the Glocka, the bell. There you go. The, the Anunnaki. I, have to, I think it has to go back to the Anunnaki, that, that it was their technology. And and the Vimana was supposedly able to travel at high speeds around the planet, go underwater, and also travel in space. So there you go. Yeah. Pretty, pretty interesting, I think. Um, and then flash forwarding into to World War II um, with the Nazis. The Nazis were working on this kind of technology. Uh, they had a thing called the Glocka, which is the bell in German. And, and the reason yep. for that is it's... It's a bell-shaped kind of, and you can put probably put a diagram on the uh, on the show page, Eric. Yes, I've put a lot of stuff up on the show page already. Ex- it, it looks it looks sort of what you would kind of think of as a flying saucer, where it's you know flat on the bottom, yeah, and it's it's got a curved um, plate-like looking layer, and then a then a, a layer above that, and then kind of a dome on top. Yes, uh, of course the Nazis had some kind of a weapon attached to it. Like yeah, exactly, laser, laser <laughs> weapon or something, which, which figures. It, it, exactly. Exactly what you expect the Nazis to do. Exactly right. So, th- so they were seeing this as uh, some form of um, a new technology that they could use as part of their war machine. I, I, I guess, luckily, they didn't perfect it to the point where they actually started using it. Although, though, that may not be exactly true either. Right. Uh, <clears throat> they were working on this thing called uh, the Glocka, and it was in Poland. They had this thing set up in Poland. They had, there's pictures of it that, yeah. or at least they think it looked like anyway. There was a, there were stone um, pillars that looked, oddly enough, looked very much like Stonehenge. Yes, it does. And and they had this bell, the, the Glocka, attached to those with these big cables, which they theorize are electrical cables, where they where they induced a, a huge amount of electrical current into this thing and supposedly created an anti-gravity effect. Now, that's not the only part of it. Uh, according to this guy who did the diagram, the, uh, the, the basic proponent of it is mercury. Yes. Uh, a circulating mercury. Uh, and two other, there's two other elements combined with that, but it's primarily mercury. Uh, and and some some substantiation for that is that there are two Nazi submarines that, well, one that was captured, I think, and one that was sunk off of the um, in one of the fjords off of Norway or somewhere yeah. that had extreme, extremely huge uh, cargo of mercury in it. And so so much so that the, the Norwegians, I think, were concerned about it eventually leaking into the you know polluting the fjord as well. They should. So, so, that's some, that, that's that's some dangerous stuff. I mean, mercury, oh, as yeah, we all know. Poisonous. Highly poisonous. Yeah. Yeah, liquid mercury is highly poisonous. Um, but apparently, it's it's when, when it's circulated um, and elect- 
electrified, it, it creates an anti-gravity effect. Yes. Which is what the propulsion system was for these vehicles. Um, so there you go. There's the basic technology. There's a, in this in this vehicle that this guy drew the diagram. There's there's kind of a, two flywheels flywheels that circulate in yeah. opposite directions, and then there's a pole going up through the middle, a column which has mercury flowing through it, and then the whole thing is electrified. Yeah. So that creates what's called a flux field, which, which creates an anti-gravity effect. Yeah. And, um, apparently, it also uses the um, what's called zero-point energy. Yeah. Which which is which is what te- Tesla was talking. Tesla said we're surrounded by. He called it cosmic energy. I think. Right. A lot. Um, a lot of people call it different things. It's it's yes. It's this, but it's yes. the same thing though. It is. It is. It's it's an energy that's existent in the universe that um is untapped. Um, you know the the current thinking or the typical thinking by scientists is that space is a vacuum. It's basically empty, and that's not true. It's filled with this zero point energy. We just have to figure out how to tap into it, and that's apparently what this vehicle does is it uses that as a as its propellant uh, propulsion system which is pretty amazing when you think about it that all this energy is sitting out there and nobody's figured well not nobody but few people have figured out how to use it tesla i think was one of them so uh my first encounter with the topic of um zero point energy is a book written um in part between with um uh buzz aldrin and john barnes and the title of the book is if you haven't guessed already it's encounter with tyburn i i actually uh, met buzz aldrin when he was actually on uh, his book tour for for this book, I actually have a signed copy of it. And, really? Oh yeah, oh yeah. And and he is. <laughs> and the thing is, is that when you know when I met him in 1996, it was really brief. You get to shake his hands. He scribbles his name, his book, and you're off. And the thing right. and the thing is that it was just like it, the book is is from the point of view of aliens who who leave Alpha Centauri to visit us, and they use zero point energy. Mm-hmm. And it goes on and on and on about you know what you know what go what is um it's it's weird because it it, it talks about um, um, about you know with it deals with ancient aliens visiting earth using zero point energy and that these aliens who bring this technology when they accidentally get stranded here on earth um it almost as if it lays out the kind of like part of the story of the anunnaki let me it's ask you something. exactly it sounds exactly like and it. the thing is that it was just like in how their their technology was stolen by primitive humans because they had some kind of an accident. I don't want to ruin the book. It's a, it's a it's a it's a it's it's a pot boiler. For that's for sure. It's incredible. Is it considered a work of fiction? It is. It's a work of fiction. It's written as a science fiction book. Um, and the thing is that it was like I'm reading this this little plot summary from uh, Wikipedia. Um, 900 years ago, the alien society in Alpha Centauri system was under a threat of kind of cosmic bombardment. Their only hope to survive was to explore and colonize nearby space. On the 21st century Earth, astronauts find artifacts left by this civilization and wonder who they were. The narrator is a historian who is a part of a mission to Alpha Centauri, the home system of the aliens. All the crew members are required to bring several projects to work on due to the decades-long nature of the mission. She spends her entire time writing biographies of several family members who were closely involved in the acquisition of the repertory of the aliens' knowledge. As another project, she translates two autobiographies by the aliens who had visited our solar system over 9,000 years ago. And the question is, why Buzz Aldrin? Why? Where did where, where, yeah, did, where did he come up with that information, I wonder? You know, Mr. Aldrin, I would just like to know, where did you come up with the idea of the story with you and uh, you and John uh, John Barnes? Where did you come up with this story? Who's John Barnes? He's he, Oh, he's just another science fiction 
fiction author. Oh, okay. How, how old is the book? Uh, oh, geez. It's uh, it's more than 20 years old now. Is it? 1996. Oh, interesting. I, I've never heard of it. But the thing is, is like, it's, it's, one of, it's, it's one of these, I can't believe it's 20, it's more, yeah, it's it's uh, 22 years old. It's an ama- it's an amazing story. So it, it's an amazing story taught, you know, and the majority of the book is, um, it, it's told from the perspective of the aliens who come to Earth in search of a, 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 a place to colonize. And it was just like, it's, 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 it's amazing. It's, it's a, it's a, it's a great book. And the thing is, is that it introduced me to the topic of zero point em- energy. And of course, mm-hmm. back in 1996, I don't know if people remember, it was the, it was the real dawn of the internet. And you would actually have to use this thing called Yahoo to search the internet. And I spent hours on Yahoo before there was ever a Google looking up and searching um, for topics on zero point energy. And the thing is that it was like, the thing is, is, is that here's here's an idea that's deeply well thought out. And the question is that it was just like, does Buzz Aldrin know something about zero point energy that's been used um, by human beings or somebody else to explore the galaxy already? Well, supposedly the secret space program is is employing zero point energy. Yeah. To, you know, to, to um, propel its vehicles. Uh, so, you know, maybe he was tapped into that somehow being a, he, being an astronaut. Yeah. You know, maybe Maybe he had some, maybe he was privy to some knowledge that other people weren't, you know, I don't know. He's, he's passed away now, right? Buzz? No, Buzz Aldrin and uh, Michael Collins are still alive. Oh, I thought he was, I thought, oh, Edgar Mitchell's the guy. Because Edgar Mitchell talked about zero point energy too, right? Or not? Edgar Mitchell was, is a name that I was saving for another part of, uh, later on in this, in this episode, in this segment. Okay. Okay. I'll, I'll, I'll you can edit that out if you want. No, that's, no, that's fine. Because the thing is, is that Edgar Mitchell is one of these people who have come forward and he said, towards the end of his life. He said, listen, the American people specifically, but humanity in general is being lied to. And there are things out there that we, that our government knows about and they're keeping from us and they're keeping us stupid. They're keeping us dumb. And, but, and the thing is, is that hey, he didn't even really sort of understand the dynamics of this conspiracy to keep things quiet. Like why? Mm. We could solve so many problems today if we felt like it just by employing these technologies. Technologies. Right, which is which is makes me wonder how much Musk, you know, if, does he have this in his in his plan to, to start using this kind of energy, or or is he too being you know kept, kept? Is it being kept from him, or or is somebody telling him not to go there? You know, I, I don't know. Hard to say. But well, there's I, I can't believe that somebody as brilliant as he is doesn't know the concept or has not heard of the concept and do would we, be thinking along the lines of using it, you know, employing it in his various enterprises that he has. Yeah, have we actually adequately explained what zero point energy is? Um, I don't think we have. Okay. So how how would you explain to the layman and some of our listeners what is zero point energy? Well, I, I think it's you know, it, it's a type of energy that is kind of ambient in a sense. It's it's just laying you know, it's just it's it's like um you know, it's like water in the ocean sort of. Um and you have to be able to have some kind of a device to access that. Um it's it's like maybe an al- a good analogy might be something that would try to pull hydrogen out of out of water 
to, to make it into a fuel. So, so it's, it's capturing this ambient energy and attempting to use it as a, you know, as a propulsion source. And apparently, um, the way it works with these, with these, with this anti-gravity technology is that this, um, it's called a flux engine, I guess you, yeah. you could say. It uses the, it uses this energy and it, it helps to create, um, a sense of, uh, in the vehicle anyway that it's being employed in, uh, as having less mass. Yeah. So, so, so the more you use it, the, the lighter you, the lighter your vehicle becomes to the point where it almost has no mass at all. Which means that you can go at almost any speed. So, so theoretically, you can um, exceed light speed. With it, allegedly, which, which which is allegedly, which which flies in the face of uh, what Einstein said with yeah. his theory of relative. Uh, but if that's the case, you know, like in the uh, in Star Trek, where, where the starship's able to exceed light speed, yeah, you can go anywhere in the universe fairly quickly. Yeah. Uh, and, and the traditional scientific thinking along those lines is that this, that's not possible, but maybe it is. There's a, there's a there's a lot of over- overlapping conspiracies and controversies going on here and I'm going back into our show notes and you can actually go to your show notes like I said metaphysicalpodcast.com and click on show 75 and the thing is is that one of the things that we have here is a link to an article WTF is zero point energy and how could it change the world and and one of the things that is really really clear is that whenever somebody can explain to you how exactly zero point energy works unless they have a degree in quantum physics like if they unless they have like a doctorate in quantum physics rather Mm -hmm. they're lying (laughs) they don't understand it it's really we're talking about where where science and black magic sort of like come together and conjugate and make something what happens you can you can understand the premise of it if if you were to the actuality of how it really functions is another whole that's another whole thing first you have concept is fairly simple i think first you have to get a container (laughs) that is that as close to a near vacuum as you possibly can and then get that container as close to absolute zero as possible mm-hmm. and what is what is left in your jar is 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 pure energy and it, the pure energy exists within and around and contained in between the the, the space and the subspace with the with the background energy of the universe is left inside and you don't actually get to see that or or touch it or use it until you get those two conditions. It's it's where the absence of energy and mass come together to create a brand new form of energy that we're still trying to wrap our heads around. And only people who with advanced degrees in, in, in quantum physics can wrap their heads around where does this come from. And this is we're also dealing with the kind of energy that must have existed in the universe before the Big Bang. And, and there was this one article that that I had read, whereas it, it's it, it, you wrap around your head around the fact that nature abhors a vacuum, and where there is an absolute vacuum, there is this n- nature that wants to fill that vacuum with something, and that's and the thing is, is that this is where this energy could be used in such a way to create matter from nothing. I mean, just like the building blocks to hydrogen, as it were, if you can imagine, and that really sort of gets into a lot of like sort of like really far out there science fiction fantasy stuff about what people sort of like imagine what the world would be like, you know, 3,000 years in the future and stuff like that. The ability to travel faster than the speed of light, travel backwards and forward in time using this technology and being able to create the building blocks to the universe (laughs) to build and repair your ship and feed your crew (laughs) 
all with the same technology that's being mm-hmm. used and utilized in in different ways. And this and this does this is, doesn't even get into the, the the physics and the science of how you create anti gravity with two um, two whirling um, um, containers of mercury that the two of them are spinning in one in direction opposite, the two, in opposite direction in opposite directions and the and the center of gravity between these two uh, it, it, there's a field that expands to a certain point where it's like it gives your spacecraft a lift oh, and it has to be excited by electricity Ex- high, high voltage right and you create the high voltage with the zero point energy right, right. device and it was just like I'm laughing because it's it sounds it sounds like magic essentially well people would have thought that about um, jets you know, yeah. 200 years ago too you know so uh, and, and what is magic really magic is really using something that we don't really understand you know, you know it's, it's it's a technology in, in a sense that we just don't understand uh, <clears throat> at least for by and large I mean there are people that do understand it but um, certainly te- I was certainly Tesla understood it um, unfortunately nobody listened to him so no. we are what we are but um, I think at some point we you know may be able to access that technology I don't know when I don't know how but when we get past this point where it's being subverted you know, I, I don't know how or why that is but it is yeah the question that I have is and this sort of gets back to e- Elon Musk because um, one of the one of the craziest conspiracy theories that I had read is that he is either tapping into some cosmic uh, the collective unconscious the same collective unconscious that uh, Tesla was tapped mm-hmm. into mm-hmm. or is Elon Musk merely a front man a very smart a genius front man who is slowly releasing this suppressed technology that we've talked about into the public um, by and through and for the US government well we don't know, we don't know. he certainly seems to have his um, his heart in the right place but again you know, you just never know what, what the actual end game is, what the, what the real, um, you know, and is, is he being told that he can't bring that technology forward on the other side of the coin? You know, because that, that people who try to do that, generally, it doesn't end, necessarily end up well for them. No, no, it doesn't, unfortunately. And that's the scary thing. So, right. I mean, the thing is, is that, I mean, so what's what's the next, what's the next part of this picture, Walt? What's the next, what's the other part of this story about, you know, how, how this is going to affect the next several hundred years of, of American society? Or not just American, human being. How is this going to affect humanity? Well, it, it all depends on, I, I mean, I think Musk. Elon Musk is on the forefront of that. It depends on where he goes with his his use of technology. Um, you know, can he bring this kind of technology out and forward? Uh, you know, maybe it needs to be done gradually. Obviously, as we've talked about many times, if we just brought this out, it would you know the whole paradigm would crash. You know, uh, everything that is based on fossil fuels and things like that would go go out the window. So, you know, that, that, that's a huge industry that would take a nosedive. So so may, maybe it would have to be done in a very gradual fashion, you know, one thing at a time, gradually working toward that. Maybe. I don't know. What do you think? I, I think I think that this is, I think that we've reached the point whereas we're, as we are slowly starting to burn, th- you know, see the end of our, of our resources here on planet Earth, mm-hmm. you know, we're starting to see, you know, because we cannot keep pulling 
oil out of the ground and pretend that everything's okay. I don't think that we can keep going the way that we've been going um, and, and just keep oh, maintaining yeah. the status quo. I think that at some point um, the system is going to break and the thing is, is that, well, okay, well now we have to use all of this technology that we have had sitting in warehouses for ages, use all this, whether it's alien technology or alien, or technology that has, you know, people have um, have discovered on their own and, you know, we've discovered for the first time on our own and all of this, all of this, everything has sort of been kept, you know, it's hard not to say, it's hard to say this without sounding crazy. I know. I think that we've sort of reached a point well, in... When did that ever stop you? Eric? Well, I don't know, because the thing is, I'm trying to be a little bit more cautious these days, because the thing is, is I think that we are looking, I think that we're looking at the point of peak oil. Have we reached the point where we've we've pulled out as much oil as we possibly can out of the ground and we can't pull out anymore? And we're going to start seeing a decline on the downward slope. Um, and we're looking at all the other resources that are not renewable, obviously. And the well, thing- the, 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 But the real question is not, um, is, is oil being used up? The real question is, why are we still using a primitive technology based on oil and petroleum when, when there's another technology out there waiting to be used that's, you know, completely, I mean, there's no end to the amount of energy there is in the universe, zero point energy in the universe. It's, it's un, you know, there's, there's no limit to it. Um, and it, and it's not, it's non-polluting. It, it doesn't, doesn't infect the, affect the environment in any negative way. Um, it's just waiting there to be used, which is, which was what Tesla was getting to. Yeah. Um, as we know, that didn't work out that well for him, but um, hopefully we're, we're getting to that point. You know, it, interesting, you talked about the status quo before. Uh, this, this is uh, Musk's spin on the status quo. He says, the status quo is largely a product of layer upon layer of laziness and incompetence. I like that. I think that's true. And, and that's really what it comes down to is people don't really want to look for a new paradigm. They want to just keep doing what we're doing and keep, you know, keeping their heads down and say, oh, well, there's still, you know, we can drill off offshore and you now we can drill in the Arctic and there's still probably plenty of oil there, but maybe that's true. And But why do you want to do that even when there's another kind of energy that's out there waiting to be used. I'm going through our show notes here really quickly and one of the things that <laughs> I had found um, interesting because the thing is is that there's there's like a, there's a common worm out there that it's well it's not common but it's there's there's um, there, there are there are actually organisms that can consume our, our, our plastic waste and we make really? the, and we make this discovery and the thing is it is like we it, and they just they, they just released this a little while ago um, they just released a story about this worm that actually eats actually eat plastic. It actually eats plastic, and the thing is, is that well, how come we're not using that? How come we're not? How come we're not like setting these worms, you know, loose in 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 our trash piles? And that's not a, that's not an unfair question. But the thing is, is that what are the consequences of that? If you allow these worms to just go amok in you know landfills some somewhere, I wonder what the waste product of that is. Well, what's the way? And what's the waste product? And what happens when? What happens when they get uh, loose? You want to think about that. And they start and they start eating the plastic products that we don't want them to eat you know <laughs> yeah true like the bumper off your car and stuff exactly uh, and the thing yeah, is, is i don't it, know i mean and well that's another whole thing why are we still using plastic <laughs> why are we still using that crap when there's other well, we, when we, there's, know, we know it doesn't break down we know what the effects of it are we have a whole plastic island out in the right pacific ocean somewhere you know it's not breaking down why are we not using um we can get into a whole list of why are we not but uh, you know why are we not using completely 
um, sustainable containers for you know for takeout foods. Exactly. I mean, you know, why are, why are we still using stuff like styrofoam and things like that? That's that's exactly the same the same question I was about to bring up myself. Why are we still using styrofoam? Because the thing is, is that we know that styrofoam releases chemicals um, in, into into food that's not unlike WT forty. If if you if you microwave your coffee every day, uh, you know you know in a styrofoam cup that you get at Dunkin' Donuts and you microwave the coffee, and over a year's time, that's like that's like take that's like drinking a shot of uh, WD forty once a year. Mm, and that has that has consequences as well. You look at people who just do the dumbest things you could possibly imagine, like like microwaving uh, food in in styrofoam. And the thing is, you try and explain to them, look, look, you're you're going to have you're going you are going to come down with a really bad case of cancer. And their answer to you is, is like, but I like my coffee hot. Okay, I can't talk yeah. to you. I can't you talk. You can't reason. You can't reason with somebody like that. I can't talk to you. But the, I guess the real answer to to all of the why are we's is because there's a lobby in Washington for lobbyists, for styrofoam manufacturers, and for oil and for everything. You know, and, and it all comes down to money. Because we have lobbyists who seem to think that somehow they know better than the elected officials. Yeah, they don't and care the voters. about knowing better or not. They care about perpetuating their industry, whatever it is. It's all about the profit. Whether, it, whether it's whether it's good or bad or whatever it is, they want to they want to keep doing it. They want to keep maintaining it, and so they, you know, they pump money into the political system to keep that going. Yeah, that's the way that works. Uh, so that's that's one of the things we have to overcome, which is going to be difficult. I don't know how, even know how that would happen at this point. So, so one of my parting questions, I guess, is um, is Elon Elon Musk on the list? Of, we did we did a show oh several shows back now about technocracy and technocrats. Yeah. Is is he? Is in that league is he in that is he on that list of people that could potentially become you know if not president but some uh, in some position of importance in the political system sort of like how, I mean, how if, if i was if i was president which you know is a very slim possibility at this point but um, i certainly would consider him for some kind of technical uh czar or something you know to, yeah to, to, to be in charge of all the technology for the country you know, it, and, and get us going in a, in a really really sustainable and positive direction if i had Donald Trump's ear for five minutes. I think that's one of the things that I would I would mention. Well, you'd have to change your name to Stormy. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think I have the figure to pull it off to get his attention. Yeah, that's that's probably true. Yeah. So um, I, I that's one of the things that I would say is that I would say, hey, listen, if you really want to have a lasting legacy that goes beyond your reti- ridiculous tweets, <laughs> you know, um, I would definitely like you know open. Let's open up some of these vaults. Let's open up, and I use and I use Area Fifty One as a kind of like a tongue in cheek. Let's open up the 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 warehouse doors of Area Fifty One and actually put some of that technology to work slowly, so that we don't shock the system. But the thing is, like we can't, we can't keep going like this. We cannot keep going. And the thing is that I think that it's like it, it's going to take somebody like an Elon Musk, who I don't think that he has a political partisan bone in his body. I might be wrong, but the thing is, is that you look at the way that he will work and talk with any who wants to do what he knows needs to get done. I think that there's a lesson in the way that he he handles himself um, in, in the realm of politics. And he's 
I think he's an apolitical person. I might be wrong. Somebody's probably going to say, no, he's a blank, whatever blank is. Um, and I think that I think that he was well, an atheist, I think, for one thing. Well, you know, I, I don't care. I don't either. I'm just saying, you know. Um, you could probably fill the blank in with whatever you want. Right. And people are going to say that he's, I mean, if he's Republican or a Democrat, I don't think people really specifically care. I, I don't think he cares. I don't think he cares. I think he's above it. And I think that that's, a, and I think that's a lesson he, he for all of us. He probably doesn't even consider that stuff. I, I, Unless it has some impact on his, what he's trying to get done. And maybe. I mean, I think that is like. His main goal is trying to create a better world. Yeah. That's that's his overall goal. I, at least I believe from, from what I've read about. And I, and I, I will say this and I'll probably be sad and disappointed but the thing is that I think he's above politics and I think that's exactly what we need now more than ever is have people who are above politics and who are who are able to look at a problem look at a solution and say this is what we're going to do not because it helps Exxon Mobil not because it helps the NRA not because it it helps Google or Facebook or Mark Zuckerberg or whatever we're going to do this because it's going to help all of humanity right, right. and I, I think like, that's what Musk's goal is, which is one of the reasons why we decided to do this show test, to bring him to. And I don't think a lot of people really know much about him. I know I didn't really know much other than the fact that he you know, named a car Tesla, which you know, obviously I like. I can't afford one, but um, yet. Although he's coming out with a cheaper version of that, apparently. Yeah. Uh, and and um, I think it's under or it's around thirty five thousand dollars, which is not cheap, cheap, but it's yeah. you know, doable, I think, for a lot more people. Uh, the other ones are around what seventy five, eighty thousand, or yeah. hundred thousand, or something. Yeah, and and the so thing- he's trying to make that technology more accessible to to more people, which is a a good thing. And uh, by the way, he also has a waiting list of five hundred thousand people for the for the new the latest version. Okay, <clears throat> so you know, yeah, that that could be a huge. I mean, if he wants to expand his production, um, which I'm not sure he does necessarily, because he he's very he's very hands on with everything he does. And, and one of the another thing I learned about him, which which I really like is he demands that things be aesthetically pleasing. He, he wants things to be beautiful that he produces. He, he doesn't like seams. He wants things to look seamless and, and have a sense of aesthetics. Um, he's working on a whole line of trucks now. Did you did you read about that? I did read that um, uh, very briefly. And, and he, he wants to make them much more functional and much, you know, obviously non-polluting and, and beautiful, beautiful looking. You know? So I think I think that in itself is, is a, is a good goal yeah make, make the world more aesthetic nothing wrong with that god knows we can use more of that and another question that i think a lot of us have is that are um are there other elon musks out there who are looking to do things that he is doing i do are there are there other, you know and the thing is that i think that this this is i think this is a question for for our facebook group um what can we do to encourage a future generation of elon musks what can we do to change and fix education so that more people like Elon Musk can come out of the woodwork and do what do what they do. Yeah, I mean he he was a he he succeeded despite the system, you know. And and I, I think that we if our system encouraged that kind of thinking, he, he's an out of the box thinker. You know, he he likes an idea that seems crazy on its face value. You know, that that encourages him to to want to think more about it and try to solve it. Uh, you know, he's a he's a he's a deep thinker. And, and that's the kind of thinking I think we, we have to encourage for our educational system or 
and, and that's another whole <laughs> that's another whole show in itself. But um, those are the kind of people that need to be funded and give, given the time to to think through these things and, and come up with new thought patterns on on these problems that are plaguing us right now. You know, pollution being one of them, obviously. Yeah, I, I can't believe there aren't more Elon Musk's out there just waiting to be to be brought forward. That that is that's that's a tough thing to handle. That's a tough thing to wrap your mind around. Walt, I think that this is the perfect place to to uh, to let our listeners go and and have some food okay. for thought. And uh, tell us about the Elon Musk's in your life. You know, reach out to us on Facebook and tell us about how you think Elon Musk is going to change the world. And well, uh, I, you know, I, I had a kid that I worked with um, in my behavior work um, who who was just such a brilliant kid. I mean, a genius, and and he was so much of a genius that he could not interface with society, which I think is kind of along the lines of Elon Musk. I mean, he, he's, he's had trouble with interfacing with society probably his whole life. And I think probably still does. Um, but, you know, people viewed this kid as a behavior problem because he wasn't accepting, you know, it, you know, in first grade, he was getting taught two and two and he was he was probably doing, you know, quantum physics equations in his head. <laughs> yeah. You know? So those are the kind of kids that get get looked at as freaks of some kind, you know, when in reality, they're they're brilliant people that just don't fit the, fit the mold. You know? Yeah. And um, he was lucky he got me to work with him and I, I got people's thinking turned around on, on this Yeah. Kid. Yeah. Well, so, um, that's it. That's the way it goes. That's it. Well, thanks for another great show. Okay, Eric. So we'll get together and talk about um, what we're going to talk about next time. We may have an author um, coming our way, right? Yeah, we, we actually have somebody who wrote a book. I'm going to actually tease it right now. We're trying to get the author of this book. Um, I'm actually going to tease it right now for the show. Let's see. The Elements of Spellcrafting um, by Jason Miller. 21 Keys to a Successful Sorcery. And, uh, Sounds interesting. Yeah. And uh, it's, it's, an, it's, it's an exciting book. And the thing is, is that it's it's a page turner as well. It, it there there are some humorous elements to it. That's good. Yeah. Okay. Let's let's shoot for that then. Thank you again, Walt. Okay, Eric. I'll be talking to you. This has been the Metaphysical Connection podcast from the Fedora Chronicles Network. Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast via iTunes, Google Play, or Player FM. You can find our podcast via your Apple, Android, or Windows devices using those services and more. If your favorite podcast service or program doesn't feature us, let us know by shooting us an email via info at thefedorachronicles.com. That's also a great way to get in touch with Walt, Jim, and Eric, and let us know what you think of the podcast, as well as topic suggestions for a future show. If we use your suggestion, we'll send you a t-shirt or coffee mug. Just send along your size and preference with your email. You can be a part of the metaphysical connection between shows by joining us on our social media accounts. You can find us on Facebook by going to our metaphysical connection group and following us on Twitter at physics laxative. Most importantly, you can support the show by hitting the Patreon button on all of our show pages, metaphysicalpodcast.com. Patreons of the show get specials such as getting the podcast a day before the rest of the audience, heads up about future episodes, and other exclusives. Want some Metaphysical Connection swag of your own? Get your own damn Metaphysical Connection coffee mugs, t-shirts, keychains, and barbecue aprons at our Zazzle page. My house is full of them. Yours should be too. Find them at www.zazzle.com slash Fedora Chronicles. Don't forget to check out our show sponsor, the Trinity Whip Company. Traditionally made kangaroo whips, top quality craftsmanship, in form as well as function. Handcrafted by Blake Brunning. 
Find his products at www.trinitywhipco.com. So for Walt, Jim, and Eric, this is Carol Fisk thanking you for listening and signing off. Until next time, keep your chin up and your bra, excuse me, fedora on.